Hello, uh, good morning everyone. It's Sunday the 25th of October. Welcome to St John's Virtual uh, Church. Uh, for those of you who are at home, uh, love and blessings from all of us. For those of you connecting with us uh, for the first time, uh, it'd be lovely to hear from you and how things are going for you. My name is Matthew and I'm the vicar of St John's uh, of the parish of West Thorny as well. Uh, and it's really good to just keep going and remind ourselves of God's love for each of us. Just a little bit of housekeeping for me today. Uh, we do have a Bible study this evening and uh, I wanted just to say a few words about Remembrance Day, uh, which are that we are intending to hold a service at 10.30, which will be socially distanced on the lawn in front of the church by the, by the cross. I will be recording uh, a virtual version as well in advance. So we will upload something to reflect uh, the lives of the fallen uh, in the village and those who remember them so we can remember them. So do hope uh, that that's helpful for all those involved. Okay. As we begin, let's remind ourselves of these wonderful words from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of our, your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands, and you put everything under his feet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather together this morning in our homes, in our churches, uh, with one another, we thank you for all that you have bestowed upon us and given us, and pray that as we ask questions about how we should live well and look after one another this morning, we pray that you would bless us. Remind us of our duty and obligations to one another because of the law of your love for our neighbour. So I pray that you inspire us by your Holy Spirit this morning and that that work would continue each day this week. Amen. And I'm going to hand over for our reading and Ian is going to uh, preach and expand the passage for us. The reading this morning comes from the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 6, starting at verse 1. The Choosing of the Seven In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, 
Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Thank you, Tim, for reading. Uh, let me add my welcome to St John's this morning. If you're new to us, please do get in contact either by using the Contact Us feature of our website, which is stjohnssouthbourne.com, or by emailing us at admin at stjohnssouthbourne.com. If you've got a Bible to hand, it would be really helpful to have it open at Acts chapter 6, as I plan to refer to the passage during the talk. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful book of the Acts of the Apostles, as we see how your plan to call to yourself a new people, your church, is put into action. Help us to understand the core principles which we need to follow as your redeemed people through our reading today. Give us determination to enable the ministry of your word and the work of prayer above all things. All of this in the unity brought about by the work of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, the title of this morning's talk is, I wonder how they stayed united and growing. Uh, we're continuing in our series in Acts uh, and looking at Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7. Uh, but before I get into this passage, let me briefly look back to where we've come from up to this point. Recall the plan of the Lord Jesus that his gospel will be spread, first to Jerusalem, then to all Judea, then all Samaria, and finally to the ends of the earth. We saw this back in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. At this point, the gospel is being shared in Jerusalem. And last week, we heard about the explosive growth which was being seen as the apostles doggedly shared the gospel day after day with the people at the temple. Despite getting arrested and put in prison, they were sprung from jail by an angel and went back to the temple courts to tell people about the new life which we have in Christ Jesus. The Sanhedrin has cross-examined the apostles and accused them of filling Jerusalem with their teaching and being determined to make them guilty of Jesus' blood. Now please take a look at chapter 5, verse 28, where we see that. So we're in a period of increasing gospel proclamation. We're seeing increasing resistance from the authorities. And we're also witnessing miraculous interventions by God as he ensures that the good news of Jesus reaches everyone. We see this in the release of the apostles from jail by the angel and his instruction to them to return to the temple to tell the people the gospel. That's in chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. Very exciting times, aren't they? Exciting to hear about this gospel growth. But then we have this almost mundane and administrative interjection in the action by Dr. Luke. A moan arises. We see it there right at the beginning of the passage. The number of disciples is increasing, but the Hellenistic Jews are complaining against the Hebraic Jews 
that their widows are not getting their fair share of the daily food distributions. Hellenistic Jews were Jews who spoke Greek and adopted Greek culture, whereas the Hebraic Jews spoke Hebrew and followed the cultural practices of the local Jewish people. With all the exciting gospel growth going on, all the new people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus and all the other things to do, a moan has arisen about the fairness of distribution of food. In some ways, we might be thinking, why did Dr. Luke bother to include this administrative, somewhat mundane narrative in his wide-ranging book, which demonstrates the advance of the gospel across the world? What's the point in descending to the fine details of food distribution at this point in the narrative? I want to suggest to you that there are a good number of points which we need to learn from today's passage. In particular, let me offer four things. Firstly, the complaint. Secondly, how it was handled. Thirdly, the resolution. And finally, the consequences. So let's take a look at the verse that's the complaint. We can see it that it involved one group of people raising a grievance against a different group. The Hellenistic group are complaining against the Hebraic group. Whether it's justified or not, it's not clear, but there was certainly a feeling by part of the community that it wasn't being fairly treated. The good news was that the issue was raised and there was an opportunity to take action. Had the people involved kept quiet, you can imagine what might have happened. In the most extreme case, this issue could have led to schism, division, recriminations, bad feeling, maybe even retaliation. For a community as young and new as this fledgling church, this could have become a very significant problem. As we see, there were people from different cultures involved who were bound to have different outlooks and who might well approach things in different ways. This complaint, if not resolved, would have had the potential to threaten the church, leading to disunity. You can imagine the potential for finger-pointing, recriminations, dissension, anger, bitterness, feuds, all that kind of stuff. In God's mercy, the issue has been raised, so the apostles have got a chance to respond to it, to deal with it and to tackle it. Which leads to the second point, which is how it was handled, how this complaint was handled. Let's take a look. There are some great principles here to be gleaned from the situation and about how to deal with complaints. Firstly, a whole church meeting was called by the apostles. The whole situation was brought out into the open and shared with the church. We see this there at the beginning of verse 2. The entire body of believers was gathered together and the apostles shared the principles they wanted to follow to handle the complaint. So within the handling second point is the principles to be followed. The apostles want to ensure an appropriate focus on prayer and on the ministry of the word. Let me say that again. They want to ensure an appropriate focus on prayer and on the ministry of the word of God. We see that in verse 4. Other important activities, in this particular case, distribution of food to widows in a fair and transparent manner, are to be delegated to a suitable team of people. 
Note also that the team had to be the right size to handle the work involved, and in this case, seven people was considered to be the appropriate number. In addition, team members had to be suitably full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom. One other thing was that the team needs to be authorised, needs to be authorised by the apostles, that is commissioned to do this important work. In verse 3, the apostles make it clear they're turning over this responsibility to the team. And again in verse 6, we see that there was prayer for the team and also the laying on of hands to signify the official commissioning and transfer of responsibility to the team. And notice again the most important principle, and that is that the apostles will be able to continue to focus on prayer and the ministry of the word. That principle is clearly there in verses 2 and verse 4. So this is how the apostles are proposing to handle the complaint. So we've had the complaint, we've had the handling. Third is the resolution. So let's move on and see how that proposal for handling the complaint was received by the church. We can see from verse 5 that there's a big thumbs up from the entire congregation. They weren't just satisfied but also pleased by the proposed handling. The seven were chosen and they seem to be quite a diverse bunch based on the names which include both locals as well as foreigners. There was clearly much thought and prayer put into assembling a team which met the criteria which the apostles had set out. The team was duly presented to the apostles who went ahead and confirmed them in their allocated task. And they were formally appointed and commissioned to take on this work of service to the whole community. So now let's take a look at the consequences. This is the final of the four points. They're finally the consequences, how this matter was dealt with. And they're set out there in verse 7. Most importantly, the word of God spread out to others. This fulfills what the apostles wanted to ensure was accomplished, a very good result. And as a result of the word of God spreading, the number of disciples in Jerusalem continues to increase rapidly. Again, a desired result. It also fulfills the command of the Lord Jesus back in Acts chapter 1. Note also that the final clause of verse 7 uh, states that a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is actually an amazing result as the priests were those most invested in the existing sacrificial system and the law continuing to be observed and carefully followed that many of them should turn to become Christians is quite an achievement and shows how the Holy Spirit was working in the hearts and lives of those who might have been most hostile to the gospel. So there we have it. That's the thrust of the passage. But so what, I hear you say? So what? We've got this administrative stuff going on in, in the days of Acts. What, what relevance does that have to us? It might have been good for the fledgling church in Jerusalem in the first century. What about us here in Southbourne or elsewhere in the 21st century? How does this passage relate to us here today? Well, let me offer a few pointers, if I may. Firstly, this is a model for us as to how to deal with disputes and contentious issues within God's church today. The model would be really helpful as disputes and contentious issues arise. Secondly, 
We need to be sensitive to complaints and disputes and to deal with them promptly and efficiently and effectively as well. Even minor issues should be looked at and dealt with as appropriate. Third pointer is that we need to stay focused on prayer and word ministry. This is an enormously important principle and one which should guide our whole outlook today. We cannot allow ourselves to be distracted by other things. God's church is built and sustained on his word by his spirit and by prayer. This must be front and centre of all we do at all times. Fourth pointer is that we need to be ready to delegate. Other important activities can be delegated to suitable individuals so we can keep our leaders free to focus on prayer and word ministry. The risk of failing to delegate is that our leaders fail to focus on prayer and word ministry. That would be disaster for the whole church. Fifth pointer is that as we delegate responsibilities to others, let us be mindful of the importance of ensuring that those chosen are suitably qualified. This includes picking the right number to be involved, ensuring that they're full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, and ensuring that the wider group is confident that the right people are working on the relevant tasks and representing the interests of the whole church appropriately. Sixth pointer, we need to ensure that those chosen are suitably authorised and empowered to deal with the issues they're handling. Generally, that's going to involve prayer and some kind of clear commission, commissioning or authorisation. And seventh pointer is that let's also be confident that as we follow this approach and ensure that our leaders are able to focus on word ministry and prayer, the Lord will honour this by spreading his word, increasing the number of disciples and enabling effective witness to those around us, even those we might have thought would be hostile towards the gospel. The end results of this approach, if it's effectively followed through, will be unity and growth strengthening of church members and of the church generally. Overall, this orderly and structured approach is very likely to lead to unity and agreement among the saints. So that was the so what, now what? All well and good, where do we go from here? How does this apply to us personally, individually and personally today? So let me try and put this in the, in the way of asking questions. Each of us, let's ask each of us a few questions so that we can see how we personally can and should be thinking about these points. So here's the first question. Are we doing everything we can to encourage our leaders, Matt especially, but all other leaders as well, to focus on ministry of God's word and prayer? That would apply to all who speak, lead, pray, our wardens, the PCC, all in leadership. If there is more which we can and should be doing to support Matt and our leaders, let's not delay to do it. The more time they spend in prayer and word ministry, the more all of us will benefit. Note that this includes our encouragements, our constructive feedback, our affirmation and agreement, our standing with them as they deal with any issues that arise. Okay, that was the first question. Second question. 
Are we acting as agents of unity, seeking to promote agreement and resolve any disputes or disagreements within our church? Unity is really important. Are we acting as agents of unity? Okay, that was the second question. Here's the third question. Do we stand ready to serve our fellowship in the way that Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timor, Parmenas and Nicholas did? Each could have said no to the invitation to serve the fellowship. I'm sure they were very busy with their own work, families, responsibilities, etc. But they all said, yes, I will serve. That was the third question. Here's the fourth and final question. When an issue has been delegated to one or more church members, are we acting in line with that? Are we bringing those issues to the right people for resolution? Or do we go back to our leaders despite the delegation? Are we taking up our leaders' time unnecessarily? Let's deal with everything in line with how those things have been delegated and help to keep Matt and our leaders free to focus on prayer and word ministry. So that's the fourth and final question there. Lots of food for thought. By doing all these things, I'm confident that we will be contributing to church unity and we can all eagerly look forward to God's worth spreading, the numbers of disciples increasing rapidly, and even those who oppose us coming to faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you call us into deeper and deeper relationship with you in the Holy Spirit and through prayer. Show us how to live in ways that enable our leaders to focus increasingly on word ministry and on prayer. Bless us through the words which they share with us as they mine the riches of your word. Build us up through your word and enable us to be conformed more and more into the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, day by day. Grant us that unity which comes through your Holy Spirit as we follow your guidance and your plan for our lives, individually and as your people. We ask this for the honour and glory of your name. Amen. Father, we thank you for being present with us this morning as we worship you. Lord, we thank you that right from the birth of your church, the believers cared for the needy amongst them by the distribution of food and money to those with no means of support, the widows and the orphans. We thank you for all who have helped during this pandemic with the distribution of food parcels to those in need. Thank you, Lord, for those who are praying and supporting this ministry at home. May we never underestimate the power of prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we praise you for bringing light into our darkness and joy into our sorrow, filling our lives when we feel empty and guiding us when we are lost, for restoring us when we are broken and for holding us when we are hurting, 
for giving us life and for creating a world of such beauty and variety. We thank you, Lord. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of wisdom, we thank you for Elizabeth, our Queen, for her faithfulness to you and her devotion to duty as Head of State. We pray for her ministers of government, for our Prime Minister and all who hold positions of power. At this time of unrest within our society, guide and direct them as they work towards the good of all our citizens. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Keep us, dear Lord, under the shadow of your mercy at this time of continuing distress. We pray especially for the areas of our country experiencing another lockdown. Lord, we pray for the families and friends that are unable to meet, for livelihoods that are at risk, and the many, many people that face an uncertain future and fear that they may have lost their means of employment. Sustain and support the anxious and the fearful. Lift up those, Lord, who are lost and alone. Help us to remember that in the dark moments of our lives, nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we pray for your church in this diocese, for those who minister to us here at St John's, and for our bishops, Martin, Ruth and William. Lord, we thank you for the fellowship we all enjoy, being part of your family here at St John's. And we pray for Matt, for David and Mike, for our youth leaders, Richard and Kim. We thank you for their devotion to you. And we also remember the work of our Christian friends from other denominations praying that we will be united in our love of the Lord and drawn into a deep sense of being one in Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for all involved in the education of our children, in preschool nurseries, primary and secondary schools, in further education, and at our universities. We remember especially all the young people who have found these last few months so difficult to cope with and have suffered from a lack of formal teaching and are now experiencing anxiety and are having mental health issues to deal with. May the teachers be given an understanding and compassion of their pupils and an ability to offer a listening ear to those in need. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Gracious God, we pray for all who work 
in the caring professions and for those seeking to discover a vaccine to speed up an end to this pandemic. Strengthen them, Lord, and may they know that through their dedication to work, many lives will be restored to health. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God of all compassion, we bring before you those known to us from this fellowship. And Lord, we just pray for them as they are suffering illness or pain and pray that those supporting them will feel your loving arms around them. And we pray for those now in care homes that we cannot meet face to face. We remember Mark and Beryl, Pat and Elsie, who because of the virus are restricted with the visitors that they can receive. And Lord, we also ask you for peace to be with Rosamond and John, as Rosamond is spending a few weeks respite care in Princeton home. Lord, just build them up and give them strength to face the future. We ask your blessing on all these dear people. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you all his peace. Lord, accept these prayers for the sake of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And now time of confession. It's important to remember our role is to reflect the love of God. The, the early church were trying to reflect the love of God to one another. We don't always get it right. Uh, we, we often get it wrong because we look to ourselves. So we come to a confession. God, our Father, long-suffering, full of grace and truth, you create us from nothing and give us life. You give your faithful people new life in the water of baptism. You do not turn your face from us, nor cast us aside. We confess that we have sinned against you and our neighbour. We have wounded your love and marred your image in us. Restore us for the sake of your Son, and bring us to heavenly joy. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, may the God of all healing and forgiveness draw us to himself and cleanse us from all our sins, that we may behold the glory of his Son, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, evermore. Amen.